Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. So, we've got a great episode today. We've got Jack Rook on the show. Jack Rook is the creator of the Channel 4 smash hit series, Big Boys. And for those who didn't watch season one, it was this lovely story about Jack and grief and the loss of his dad and going to university and coming out and having this sort of central relationship with this character called Danny, who's a straight guy, and they have this sort of odd couple relationship. And everybody loved it. So the fact that it's come back is so exciting. And I've started watching already, and it's brilliant. Season two kind of picks up a little bit after where season one ended, or series two. And it's just as funny, it's just as sweet, it's just as heartbreaking as the first series. So it's just so lovely to be back in that world. So Jack is going to be joining us in just a moment. Um, But before that, have you caught up on our recent episodes? Last week, we had Andrew Haig and Andrew Scott on the show, who came to talk to us all about All of Us Strangers, which is their new movie with Paul Mescal. And lots of you have been getting in touch about how much the episode resonated, how much the film resonated, and particularly what Andrew Scott said on the podcast, which is that the assumption that everyone makes that you are straight and what that's like. So let's go and have a look at messages because lots of people have been writing in about last week's episode with Andrew Scott and Andrew Haig. So A. Forgey said, I had friends in the 90s who later came out as queer. I remember hoping that I had never unknowingly done anything like this to them. I've been very conscious of it whenever speaking to someone I don't know. My husband's daughter was seven when we met, and she was talking about someone in her class once having a boyfriend. I said, no matter who you choose to have a crush on, boy or girl, just make sure they treat you well. It breaks my heart that anyone would feel like they have to hide who they are. Well said, eh, Foggy? Andrew Scott Film Club said, this is so true. I've totally tried to change my language since my 13-year-old is trying to figure out who she is. Oh, that's lovely. Well... How nice that they have the support from you when they're trying to figure out who they are. Because it's a big journey, isn't it? Um, Rane Vermeding, I cannot read that name, said, Yes, Andrew Scott, can't tell you how often I get asked about my husband when people see me out with our kids. Having to come out constantly and say my husband is actually my wife, they assume because I have kids I must have a man at home. Now you see, because I'm a gay man with a child, I get this as well. Me and my husband together, we get where's mum. Um, and uh, people don't mean any harm by it, but there's just this assumption. 
Thank you for all those messages. I've got something to say to you here. If you're still trying to keep your New Year's resolutions, why not go back and listen to our episode with GBTQ plus personal trainer Matt Boyles. The way he talks about exercise is very sort of in- inspirational is sort of the word positive. And we also talk about why it's GBTQ+, not LGBTQ+, in the chat. And he also called me out, very interestingly, he called me out because I was describing people with hot bodies. And he said, all bodies are hot bodies, Chris. And I was like, oh, yeah. Um, So go and have a listen to that if you feel like being inspired and, you know, having some fun. Also, a reminder that we are hosting a live show in London on the 29th of February. Um, I best put that in my calendar, haven't I? Join me. And the like-minded friends podcast supremos, the wonderful Susie Ruffle and Tom Allen. And we're doing a one-night-only queer podcast show. It's going to be really good. It's going to be hilarious. And we all get to hang out. So get your tickets using the link in the bio or through our Instagram. Okay, that's all the housekeeping done. Let me put on the kettle because it's time to go and chat with the wonderful Jack Rook, creator of Big Boys. Here is part one of my chat with Jack. Jack, you're breaking our duck because this is the first time Homo sapiens has been recorded in this table setup. Really? True story. Oh, this is nice. We used to, it's a bit more it's a bit more who wants to be a millionaire. Yeah, it feels quite sort of like, like um political like you're going to ask me about the news like you're going to get the newspapers out we're going to go sift through them Shit, all. we're fucked i mean we did like two <laughs> weeks on this podcast we tried to talk about the news and it just went really bad i really why because you know when you, you start talking about something you're like i'm definitely not an authority on this <laughs> why, am I, why am i talking about this well, conflict and people are like what was section 28 like do you want to google it should we yeah. have a quick google i i've been asked a few times to do like the newspaper review on oh. them and i'm just like it's a setup I'll just sound really thick. <laughs> I actually really admire people who can do that. Did you see Alan Cumming on Laura Koonsberg the other day? No, is it good? He was fucking amazing. So David Cameron was on. Do you remember when David Cameron was got voted Ally of the Year? Really? <laughs> what? <laughs> what? What for? Like, who by? Twenty fifteen. I can't remember. It was the Daily the Mail. Gay, it was one of the no. It's like one of the gay media news outlets. Really? It was like David Cameron. Oh, because wasn't year. he? See, yeah. this is why I don't talk about politics. Because wasn't he, Samantha Cameron was the one who persuaded him to legalise gay, gay marriage. marriage. Yeah, Sam Cam. Yeah. Well, then let her have the ally. <laughs> <laughs> let her have a moment in the sun. Well, oh, it was dear. 2016. It was different times. Simpler times, happier times. Um, no, it was, it was Rishi, I think it was Rishi Sunak and David Cameron. No, it was Keir Starmer and David Cameron were on. Yeah. Laura Koonsberg. They both got an in- interview each. And then Alan was on this table with a couple of other people. And they sort of would sit by the side while the interview went on. And um, then they would sort of... She, Laura Koonsberg would finish the interview with, like, Keir Starmer and trot back over to the panel. And Alan would just blast them and her for, like, the injustices and hypocrisy. And he was wow. so good at articulating himself in the moment. You yeah. know what I mean? And yeah, actually, yeah. you kind of... I haven't actually spoken to him about this, but, like, you don't have to know everything. And I think no. that's part of the smoke and mirrors of politics is you feel under-researched and so you just end up being like, oh, well, I'm well, probably wrong. Well, it's part of everything right now. Everybody wants you to have a comment ready for any particular social injustice. Mm. And I think that I studied journalism and I have a real belief 
in good journalism and mm. good journalists. That I think yes. because, because of how scary everything is generally now, the more attuned you can be to facts and truth and credible evidence, the better mm. it is. But how do you do that? Like, who are your go-to people? Do you have a couple of journalists who are like, I love reading their take? I don't think I do. I think I follow a lot of different types of news outlets. I probably do have a couple of journalists who I I find really Mystic like. Meg stuff good. Mystic Meg. <laughs> R.I.P. Oh, shit, she's yeah, she died last year. I oh, do apologise. I think Diane from The Traitors should take over as the new Mystic Meg. That's a fucking great a idea. Mystic Meg. That's what we need. So I haven't actually watched Traitors, but obviously I've seen Diane, mm. the meme. She Why is... haven't you watched The Traitors? Because I've been on holiday. I've been filming it. and I've been on holiday. That's not a good enough excuse for me. And and I do you know what? Also, like, <laughs> also we were talking about a second ago. I get a bit like. I get a bit catch-up-itis, you know what no, I mean? I just say something very funny. I Go just on. did like what I sometimes do, which I took like a fake sip. It's too hot. I couldn't drink it, so I... And then pretended to swallow the other. <laughs> it was just there, it was just there. Why did you do that? Because I get embarrassed at the idea of sipping <laughs> something and somebody yes. seeing me sip, but because it's too hot and I know it's too hot, I fake I that, that I've ingested when I haven't. I love that, and I love when Sorry. you. I love when you catch yourself doing something that <laughs> That's is a lie, a, but a, an entirely <laughs> tiny little piece of theatre for yourself. Like, yeah, I did it. I did it on the train. <laughs> I did it on the train on the way here today. I got on the train, and I don't normally go from the station, mm. and I didn't know whether it was going to Paddington, but it did stop at Reading. So you were like, well, safe. So I'll get to Reading on a, on a Lizzie line if I need be. You, oh, I hadn't thought Because you can get the Lizzie line from yes. Reading now. The but Lizzie line has revolutionised everything. That's so true. We could go out in Reading for the night now. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so I, and I did this whole piece of theatre because I didn't want to ask the person opposite me whether it was going to Paddington or not. Yeah. So I was like, okay, so at Reading, I'm going to check. Uh, and then I sort of got up looked out the door, saw that it was going to Paddington. Then I was like, I can't now go and sit back down where I was because the person opposite me, who I don't know, I've never met, probably doesn't even know. He's going to think that you tried to go off too soon. <laughs> yeah. And then I was like, I'm not going to do that. So I had a word with myself and I sat back down in front of him. So I was a bit proud of and myself. And you invented a bomb scare. <laughs> yeah, those little lies that you do to yourself. Do you think that's a, Do you think, considering the theme of the podcast, that's, mm. do you think that's a queer thing? Do you think we're better at it? Yes. Or do you think everyone's a deceptive little bastard? <laughs> I think everybody is acting all the time, you know, yeah. and I think that, like, that's what's amazing about good actors is actually they can just access it on demand, whereas yeah. we all slip into it silently and don't say. I mean, the amount of performance that goes on with everybody yeah. with things is is massive. And I think that... I actually think queer people are forced to examine that side of themselves and make a change mm. and therefore we are probably more aware of it. But no, I think everybody's I think everybody's doing it. And I actually yeah. think it's harder if you haven't had to go through some kind of and it doesn't have to be queerness, it could be anything, but if you haven't if you have to go through some kind of life change where you have to sort of call out your own bullshit, start to be authentic with people, all of that stuff, you lose tolerance for it elsewhere. And actually yeah. if you haven't had to go through that, then you I think sometimes you end up doing it your whole life and that can be yeah, harder. Be, yeah, I agree. Do you think? Yeah, I do. I, I yeah. <laughs> I do, I do. I'm, I'm always a bit like, you know, like thank thank God my like top trumps card has got quite a lot of like tricky things to navigate because it does sort of, mm. it beats some bullshit out of you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
And how are you when you're lost uh, in terms of in performance mentally, in real life? <laughs> we'll do physically first, then we'll come on to mentally. I don't get physically lost. No, but, <laughs> but do you not like... Do you, what? So what I'm saying is that other time I often do like performance stuff on my own. It's yeah. like, I'll be like lost and like pretending I'm knowing where I'm going. I'm like, who is this for? No, like, I've never had that ever in my entire life. Are you being serious I've got me? such an insane GPS homing pigeon inside my brain. What? Like I could tell you where's north, south, east, west anytime. It's a weird one. I've, I think it's maybe because I'm the son of a black cab driver. Oh. And like, so my dad obviously had to do all of the knowledge and all of the mm. training. And I don't know if that sort of knowledge filtered through his sperm into me as an egg and then... <laughs> I came out as a baby. It, did say, and then it I does was, say that in the knowledge. It bump. does say that. Like, you, you, this is going to come out and you come. <laughs> uh, your children are going to be... Like, I always know where I am in London. And I'll often be like, oh, how do I get... Like, I don't really... I use City Mapper, but then it just tells me what I already knew all the time. And I'm like, oh, yeah. Interesting. I knew that. And tell me, tell me, no. <laughs> we could waste an hour. Where is, like, give me two separate locations. Yeah. I'll tell you. Redding, well, you knew Reading was on the Lizzie I line. I knew Reading was on the Lizzie line, precisely. I proved my so point. So you've never been lost? Never been physically lost. I've been mentally lost. I'm probably mentally lost right now. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But yeah, no, physically, uh, okay. <laughs> Shame there isn't a city mapper for the mind. Oh, well, there is, isn't there? It's like the set one. Big well, Boy well, Series 2. There's Big Boy Series 2 now available <laughs> on Channel 4 Streaming. Um, Yes. Yeah, I probably should get headspace. Do you, as a as a mental health advocate, do you not have it? No, I I do forget to meditate, and I know it's oh. good because I was really dubious of it before I did. Yeah, I was like, oh, what's all this? And then I did it and was like, God, it does help. It mm. does sort of refresh your brain, make you less anxious, and force yes. your body into like cooling itself down. Yes. But yeah, I do need to do it more. Um, I used to do it and I've actually kind of given it up. Yeah, but that's it. Yeah, I gave it up. I did like three weeks of it. If I'm really, it depends if I'm anxious or if I'm depressed. Mm -hmm. If I'm really anxious, then meditation's amazing. And if I'm depressed and I can just hear all my most depressed thoughts even louder. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Do you think, I know you've spoken about this before, but do you suffer from depression or because I remember you making the distinction between depression and getting depressed yeah um I don't fully know mm -hmm. I think I would have said I think a couple of years ago I'd have said I don't have depression I just get depressed yeah whereas now like the older you get and the more cyclical you realize things are the more the more patterns that I'm stringing together the more I'm like Oh, I probably do have depression. Right. It's <laughs> another fucking but, thing and, to but, do. But, however, I find depression easier to navigate than anxiety. Really? Because I, I definitely have really bad anxiety. Mm. Really bad sort of generalised anxiety, but also like spikes of it. And, and it physically manifests itself in such a scary way. Mm. Like I had a period of last year when I was writing Series 2 of Big Boys where I was just dizzy for like six weeks constantly. Whoa. And I was 
persistently dizzy. And it was like being trapped in a like prison of the mind. It was mm. fucking awful. I wouldn't wish it on anyone. And and uh, I went and saw like physical doctors for it and vestibular rehab therapists and people like that. And they were all just like, you're anxious as fuck. Really? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I think I am. And what did they, did you find anything that helped you or did they find anything that helped you? I suppose doing, I had to do some like physical rehabilitative things because my, there's something mm. called like the anxious dizzy cycle where like oh. the more dizzy you feel, the more anxious you become and the more anxious you become, the more dizzy you feel. So you spiral down into it. Do you know what's also weird is I'm getting really dizzy while you're saying this. I really, yeah, it's horrible. It's horrible. <laughs> Dizziness, I think is like, I would love to write something about it or because it was such an odd so I've suffered with bouts of like vertigo, as I called it, my whole life. And mm -hmm. now I've realised that they were just insane manifestations of anxiety. But I went to the doctors and had anti-sickness meds because that's what they give you if you're dizzy. Or yes. we'd have like physical... I'd be like, I'm just really dizzy. But I'd be saying it through tears. And like my GP <sighs> was just horrible. like, I just think you're really, really anxious. Mm. And I was like, I'm not. I'm a high-achieving, successful person. How very dare you? <laughs> <laughs> I, I wasn't at all. I was absolutely on the floor, wiped out with anxiety, and nobody really get. It's one of those things where it's like we've we've got to this point now in the kind of mental health conversation where it's so open. It's almost too open sometimes because we've got like adverts for fucking I don't know, SIF <laughs> cleaner, like kitchen cleaner, and someone's overcome their depression because they've got rid of the lime scale in their kettle. Like it's <laughs> to become be fair, that would so. <laughs> it's become so kind of capitalized upon in corporate but yeah. we still are really bad like I, not many people <laughs> and this is as close as last year when i write a show about mental health yes not many people understood it and not many people were that empathetic really my close friends were amazing but beyond that it was like there's a deadline if i'm not <laughs> going to be allowed to have like an actual bit of mental unwellness whilst writing a show about people being mentally mm. unwell like it's chaotic so i mm. feel you know very beloved by a lot of people i work with mm. but the realities of a production schedule combined with the realities of like i'm writing a show about not only my own grief but like other people in my life's mental health and other people's grief and other, like the juggling act of that is so big and massive mm. you've got to be so thick-skinned yes or else it's a pointless endeavor but does it feel that with all of that said has it been cathartic returning oh, yeah. to the story and does it help you do you think or do you think it's more helping others um i think it's both i love i really love i love writing big boys there's a team sort of that that i find of like jim archer the director charlie goodger who's the dop we that. had a lovely first ad called charlie elliott in series two and she was just like my like source of inspiration and joy every day like oh, great i i felt very lucky when we made that show i was so unbelievably loved and looked after and my vision was really like respected but i was also challenged on things in a really kind way and great. made it like i had the best time and it was that was very cathartic because you're making something so personal that, the, that it takes a lot of trust to give it over to other people. Mm. And when you do trust those other people and when they're impressing you and they're including you and they're listening to you and collaborating with you, it's like, it's the nicest feeling ever. Mm. So I feel very, very lucky in, in a lot of those regards.
the very nature of it requires the compromise to be made by the writer or the person yes. who's investing their personal story. Like the compromise mm-hmm. is mine. <laughs> and I say that knowing that, you know, it's, I'm not mini violining that yeah. because the, the benefits are amazing and the, and the fact that I get to write for a career and that's my job and I love it and it's a creative outlet, it's brilliant. Big Boys came out like four days ago mm. and they've been the most exhausting four days of my like 30s <laughs> and I've turned 30 about a year ago but <laughs> I'm like oh my god I'm older now and it, yeah. and it's anticlimactic and it's anxiety inducing and all of my yes. friends and that's with it being younger a or a bit older than me are like you should be so happy it's got five stars across yes. the board blah, blah blah and I'm just like I'm I can't be happy because I'm terrified because it's done and it's out yeah and and I my my best times with it are done now. Mm-hmm. Like I love filming and I love being in the edit. Yeah. I love it so much. I feel like a sort of and I love you know I also love rocking up at the Baftas with like six of my mates who are in the show. Like it's the yeah. nicest feeling in the world. I feel like I'm in the Spice Girls <laughs> and we're like a band. I love. That. And then as soon as you know I go back to writing or I or it's out. It's just incredibly lonely. And really? no one's no one will share the same set of anxieties as me. That's something I've learned and I and I'm learning it the hard way and I've maybe learned it this week. Is that like the things that I worry about and my idea of success is not the same as anyone else's. And it's really hard because I don't want to ever rain on anyone else's parade when mm. everyone's so overjoyed at reviews and reception. But in my mind I've got like a very set kind of list of goals that I want to achieve. And until I've achieved them all, I feel a bit like in no man's land slightly. And what are they? I think for me, it's like feeling, I don't know. I kind of want to keep them to myself. Okay. Is that okay? In like yeah, a weird way. I know that's like the worst thing anyone could ever <laughs> say on a podcast. But I want to keep them to myself because I think that I've, so, I've, I've been such an overshare in nearly all my career. And yes. I really regret it. If I could, talk to 23 year old me now i'd be like not that that's funny but do you really want everyone to know like yeah i'd rein myself back in a bit more but i think when i started writing and performing it was in a real era of the oversharer mm. so it was like 2015 2016 so we were all just really like pumping out our yeah trauma identities online and yes. it's the very genesis of that and yeah. i definitely overshared too much and now i try to be a bit more thoughtful in that what i share about myself i hope eases other people yes to the realities of things but then there are some things that i'm like they can just be for me Mm. and once i've worked through them maybe i'll share them maybe i won't yeah in retrospect what you know so i haven't finished series two yet don't you worry darling. but um i just loved it and it's so nice where have you got up to end of episode three great oh well you haven't even watched it then because yeah. the th- first three episodes, I just spunk out all the jokes there. <laughs> That's like a very frivolous sitcom. And then Eps 4 and 6 in particular of Series 2, I think, are the show. Really? Yeah, I think I think Eps 1 and 2 are like a starter. Oh, I Three is it. like an amuse-bouche with a bit of emotion at the end. And then 4, yeah. 5 and 6 are like the main course of pudding. And why do you do that? Is that just a, the way it comes out or is there thought? I think, I think it's a little bit the way it comes out. I think it's a little bit based on my, what my live shows were always like. Oh, right. My live shows, I would really feel, I felt like you, you laugh people into bed. Mm-hmm. You laugh people into bed and then when you're in bed, you can like 
give them the best time of their lives but yeah. then you can also open up and be vulnerable and you can be intimate and you can do all the different sort of things that you can do in bed but you've mm. got to get them in bed That's first as a viewer or as an audience mm. especially if you're going to then confront lots of tricky intimate painful emotional things mm. so and i also am really conscious that big boys is route to being a show is through comedy mm -hmm. you know i think if big boys was a drama it could be a very different show mm. and and but but because of that i try to sort of laugh everyone in and mm -hmm. it's silly and i love sitcoms i love things that are a bit slapstick and a bit daft yes because often when you go through the most painful experiences in life those silly slapstick moments sit just alongside them mm. and you have to look, see them and celebrate them for what they are. They are like reminders of life and the sort of textures of like trauma and where it's painful can also be incredibly affirming and incredibly cathartic and mm. combining the two. But yeah, I think it, for me, episode six of Big Boy Series 2 is the thing that I feel like the most proud of because it treads that line the whole episode. And mm. I think it says really saliently in a way that maybe... I've left a lot of things ambiguous in my writing, but it's very clear what it's saying. Mm. That, like grief and life are are the same thing, really. Mm, interesting. And yeah. what did you feel like you, you might watch it now and be like, "Fucking oh shit!" <laughs> <laughs> um, what did you kind of want to cover, themes-wise, in this series that you hadn't? Because it, it, you know, it's so it was so interesting. Series one, wasn't it? Because um, it was so taken into the nation's heart and people yeah. loved the characters and loved, uh, you know, the relationships and it felt very complete. And yeah. what, what did you feel like you wanted to cover? I think I wanted it to feel like a bit more expansive. Mm. And I think there were other characters in the mix that I had mm. a real feeling that I wanted to write for. Um, I think... What I didn't want to do is completely deny Jack's dad's death. Mm -hmm. Like in series two, there's still a kind of grief storyline that continues throughout because I don't think it's not like, oh yeah, three years have passed and I forgot my dad's died. Like it's an yeah. ongoing thing. So I wanted to show that ongoing grief and, and, and how you often learn from it three or four years down the line more than when it's immediately happened. Mm. I wanted to give a bit of backstory to the character of Danny, who I mm. think was like so beloved and will always be like, you know, the most important character I'll ever write, really. <laughs> and, and John Pointing does such a phenomenal job with him. He's so good. He's so I, good, yeah. I remember John when he was doing those Virgin Mobile ads. Mm. Do you remember, like... Yeah, he's done loads of weird... He was Weetabix guy for ages. Was he? Weetabix breakfast on the go. But I yeah. just remember seeing him in those Virgin ads and he had fangs. Yeah. And this is like 15 years ago, 15 years ago. He would have, yeah, it would have been about 10 years ago, I think. And I was like, that guy's really good. Like, yeah. I just remember thinking that in tiny little micro 15-second ads, he was just, his performance was incredible. And, yeah. you know, he's he's the same in Big Boys. He's so brilliant. And I was saying to my husband when we were watching the, the new series, I was like, you know what I love about him? Like, even there was a shot and it was just the side of his face, potentially slightly the back of his head. Mm. And I could tell what he was thinking about, what yeah, was being yeah, said yeah. to him. Like, he's so there. Present. Yeah. Yeah. He's he's a real, like, there would be no big boys without John. Mm. I sort of wrote it very much with him always in mind. 
mm-hmm. and we did the fringe together. Well, I've known John for like ten years, but we did the fringe together in 2017, and I was doing my Edinburgh show, my like one man theatre show that was sort of about what Big Boys was. Yeah, and he was doing his one man character comedy show, and I think we went to see each other's shows on the same day. He came to see mine, oh. came out in tears, and I was like, oh, thank you, mate. And then I went ran and saw his. His was like an hour after mine. And that night we went for a kebab and we were in this kebab shop really drunk. We'd had a fun night. And I turned to him and I went, mate, I dare you to get a pizza. And he laughed so much because <laughs> just the idea of getting like a shit pizza in a kebab shop. We were just laughing loads. And, and the more I was laughing with him, the more I was like, this feels true to a friendship I've had in my past at university and the, the feeling of excitement and joy and brotherhood and protectionism and all that sort of stuff. I was like, I just sort of knew that John was Danny. Mm. And then he came on board very early and I just wrote it very specifically for him. And for knowing that there was always more depth to him than anyone ever thought. Because actually when me and John first met each other, we kind of had a little row. Like really? We, we didn't really, I was like, who's this like handsome, attractive guy trying to do like funny, weird characters? Boring. <laughs> done and i think he was like who's this like slightly gobby kind of like spoken wordy comedy poemy boy who's like trying to like who's got a big chip on his shoulder we yeah. both just sort of like eyed each other up a little bit and i love it out of that came a really you know probably one of my favorite friendships i've ever had it, which is the loveliest thing the mm. loveliest thing to me about big boys is is being like oh here's something that felt rooted in something real that we've been able to recreate and that's the end of part one if you want part two then i can tell you exactly where to get it it's on the feed go find it you'll really enjoy it why don't more infant formula companies use organic grass-fed whole milk instead of skim why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Powered by Spirit Studios.